Hello and welcome to Far From Fear, the podcast that explores the intersection of cancer and thought wellness. I'm your host, Jen Farr. Thanks for joining me on this journey. I am honored to have Sandy as my first guest on the Far From Fear podcast. She has agreed to share her unique journey in this space, and I'm grateful for her vulnerability and authenticity. I am here with my good friend, Sandy, and we are having some wine, so that helps with the beginning of this episode. But yeah, basically, Sandy decided to come on at my request to share her story, and I'm just, yeah, we're going to let this happen organically, so we'll see what happens. So yeah, let's go. (laughs) And as we were discussing earlier, I'm not good at discussing the hard topics <laughs> no exactly yeah but yeah basically that's what we were talking earlier is that normalizing the talking about cancer so that it doesn't become like this episode from or seen from uh, one of those movies where it's like oh uh, you know about aunt nancy well she's got cancer you know <laughs> and i think that's actually probably one of the biggest um yeah words are hard uh, <laughs> element if you will of the because my family as, as you know my family we don't talk about the hard yeah. topics and yeah. so everything had to be light and fluffy and um you didn't you didn't so that was probably the hardest part for me was telling everybody to yeah. start yeah and always feeling like I needed to put on the happy face and mm. that everything was fine, nothing to see here. Yeah. La, 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 la. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't be real, really, if, if things sucked, if I felt like crap. Yeah. I, I buried it. Yeah. How old were you when you... 27? Yeah. 27, yeah. 27, what, yeah. What type of cancer was it? Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. So my sister had it too. Right. She was 14. Right. It is common among siblings. Still to this, it's still unknown whether it's environmental or genetic. Wow. But there is a link between siblings. <clears throat> so when my sister had it, it was a very different treatment, a very different prognosis. Yeah. Things are tougher. It was not a given. <clears throat> but because she went through it and came out the other side even better than before. Well, except for my sister was an athlete. And when mm. she came out the other side, she struggled. And this coming from a girl who won every cross-country race she ever ran, yeah. her and her best friend would take turns crossing the finish line first. Oh. And she was never the same afterwards. She could never get back to that level of competition afterwards. So, But otherwise, yeah. came out, she's picture of healthy, like, today kind of thing. Yeah. But because she came through it with flying colors other than performance, yeah. I went in with optimism. Yeah. And I remember my the very first meeting with my oncologist, who I adored, he was like... This kindly gentleman, he was very calm, very, felt like somebody's grandfather sitting you down and kind of having a chat sort of thing. And when he says, how are you feeling? And there's some more milk. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And he had a kindly smile, but all business, like when it came down to talking treatments and all that kind of stuff, but just a very warm and welcoming and easy to talk to man. And he said, you know, so, okay, so. This is what we've got. This is where we're at. How are you feeling? And I was like, I'm fine. Yeah. And he was like, hmm, really? And I said, well, you know, I'm my sister, you know, I, I have, I see my sister dealt with it. It was tough. Mm-hmm. 
but she was fine. Prognosis is even better now. I'm young, I'm healthy. Like, I've got this. I'm going to beat this. And I think that I'm just an optimist by nature. So that was how you go into everything. Like, you just, I've never been a whiny person. Like, why not me? What makes me so special that I don't have to deal with the hard stuff? Yeah. And I remember him looking at me saying, that's going to help us. It's a good attitude, yeah. And he said, it's not just, he said, studies have shown that people with a positive attitude, a positive outlook, have a better outcome. Yeah. It's psychosomatic maybe, but it's also just, he said, it's, there are links, there are studies that have shown that this, this is going to help you with your outcome. You can't. Oh, well, if it's going to help me with that outcome, oh, sure, I'm positive. Like, you actually have to, like, yeah. yeah. So I was lucky that way. Yeah. But at the same time, I felt like I had to keep that optimism, and I could never really, Mm. if I was having a hard time, there, I had to put on a happy face. Yeah. So the tough days were, like, where you were feeling raw and vulnerable, exposed, whatever, Mm. sort of that feeling like, oh, I can't be dark today, or I can't feel like, like whatever right the, mm-hmm. the negative aspect of that exactly yeah that that also could I think that speaks true too I think it's terms of the hard aspect of that where I know I, I know for myself I felt the same way is like you know no 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 you got this you got this you're fine blah 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 whatever but when when you're sitting there alone in the dark and trying to get to sleep <laughs> your brain's going a million miles a second and oh you're starting to have those have hard conversations with yourself I think that's where it's that's where it's like you start to show up in the real and the mm-hmm. raw, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's it, the human aspect, right? Is like we're, we're all in this like human journey, so we're gonna have human emotions, and that's okay. So it's okay not to be okay, right? You yeah, know? yeah. And I think that has to be normalized. Yeah. Is like the importance of saying yes. It's important. It's it. Hundred percent mindset is a huge factor. Is we can with negative thoughts, we can make ourselves sick. So with positive thoughts, we can make ourselves well. Exactly. But it doesn't mean that we're constantly going to be on this, like, high and this oh. positive stream. Sure, right? sure. Right? Yeah. And I, I did have an easier journey than a lot of people, and I know that. I was very fortunate in that way. But I didn't have, but as you said, like, those late nights when you can't sleep, I didn't have that partner. There's nobody to give me a hug when I was having, like, a rough night or whatever. Right. But also, because my sister had it, I know my mom went through hell with that. Mm. My dad died a year before I was diagnosed. My mom was younger than I am now when all this was happening. She was 49 years old. Her husband had died the year before. Second daughter is now going through cancer after, I mean, granted, her first daughter came through fine. Right. Um, But that's a lot. Yeah. And I don't know if I fully appreciated it until I became an older person with nieces and nephews and whatever mm-hmm. to like worry about yeah. just how much she had on her plate. But I did appreciate it enough at the time mm-hmm. that I didn't want to burden her more than I needed to. Yeah. Right? So <clears throat> I tried to keep it light. I lived in Brockville at the time, but you had to travel to Ottawa for treatment. And it was my mom who drove me. Right. So it was every second Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I remember it being a Tuesday, every second Tuesday <laughs> for six months. Mm-hmm. I still, I kept working. I would take the Tuesday off and the Wednesday and then further into treatment. Then I started taking Thursday mornings, then all day Thursday. and yeah. But I still kept working yeah. because, again, I was very lucky. And if you're going to get cancer, Hodgkin's is the cancer to get. (laughs) Uh, So the treatment is a little bit more, from what I'm told, and from my experience, the treatment was milder than treatments for other types. 
and the first treatment was bad. I still, yeah. my mom, <laughs> my mom brought a big can, uh, one of those coffee cans. You remember Maxwell House? Oh my like, god, Maxwell yeah. Maxwell House. I think like, I have one in the with the ground cupboard. coffee <laughs> because we had an hour drive home. Yeah, and so she brought this can. And that was what I held on to in the car, and that's what yeah. I puked into with the drive home yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So to this day, if I smell an empty coffee can, it just it's a trigger. <laughs> but yeah. Um. So when I went to see my oncologist to follow up after that first treatment, he was like, "Well, that's not okay." And so he prescribed Zofran. Zofran was my friend, and so I just I always made it was always fed intravenously along with the treatment, and I was never sick again after that. Oh wow! I felt hungover for six months. Right. Straight, no Oof. breaks. Oof. Six months straight, hangover. Yeah. Like the queasy. Yeah. You feel like you're gonna throw up, but you never quite throw Car-sick up. Car sick feeling. Yes. Yeah. But I never actually threw up. I, I felt like I had to put on the happy face for my mom. Like yeah, I always, because yeah. I didn't want to burden her anymore. Right. And I wouldn't let her come in. So right. she drove me to my treatments. Wow. I would not let her come in. Mm-hmm. She dropped me off, stayed with me in the waiting room until they called my name. And then she would go. Yeah. I don't know what she did. I think she went to a mall, maybe went to a bookstore. Right. She didn't talk about what she did. But yeah. I wouldn't let her come in with me because I didn't want to have to put on a happy face. I just wanted to like... Yeah. Just close my eyes, and I wish they had audiobooks back then. Oh my goodness gracious! Yeah. yeah. So I'm not going to say how old I am, but <laughs> this would have been back in the day. <laughs> yeah, back in the day when you turn the page and you hear the <laughs> yeah. bring. Exactly. There's too tired to read. Yeah. Audiobooks weren't really a thing. Yeah. And so I just sat there, and my mom wanted to keep me company. She wanted to talk to me, but I didn't want to have to talk. Yeah. I didn't want to have to be on. I didn't yeah. want to have to pretend that I was. Yeah. I didn't want to have to put on the act. And yeah. so I made her go away. And yeah. I kind of regret that now because I feel like I thought I was doing her a favor. And in, a, I, I, in the end, I think I made her feel like I didn't need her. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, I think so that's, that's a tough, way. yeah, like, that's, that's, that's gotta be tough. Yeah. Like you, when you're already going through something and I, like, I even heard you say like, you know, it's always it was one of the. Easiest cancers to go through. Well, no cancer is easy to go well, through. Well, no. You know? <laughs> like, cancer's cancer is fucking right. horrible, right? It's, it's, it's shit. Like, anybody that goes through... Like, I, I just think it doesn't matter what kind that you have or you get diagnosed with. It's the, the first thought that comes into your head is, holy shit. <laughs> well, yep. this is what, you know... Exactly. They told us in grade school yeah. or whatever, right? Or this is what my aunt died of, or my grandpa died of, or whatever. And so there's there's the immediate, especially when you're young, mm-hmm. there's the immediate response. It's the flight or fight response, right? And you, you just go into flight mode. You just kind yeah. of go into survival mode at that point, right? So I think, like you said, you, you know, you just kind of try to take the emphasis off of how you're feeling in that moment and, and sort of kind of project it out elsewhere. But... How would you say the after was for you? The post. Like you were kind of gone through survival mode. Then now here we go. Here's the crash. You're now going back into a quote unquote normal life, which we know is not always the case. Yeah. (laughs) So when I say it was a milder treatment, it it is from the like throwing up perspective, all that kind of stuff. But okay, two factors here. For when you hear that cancer diagnosis and you think, okay, well, this sucks, like as you said. Yeah. But there's like, there's a part of me that's like, oh, well, maybe at least I'll lose some weight. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. But the thing is, when you don't throw up, 
the whole time. Yeah. But you feel hungover the whole time, and you crave the kind of foods that are going to settle your stomach. Yes. So you have the opposite problem. Yeah. You're not losing weight. You're actually gaining weight. Because the only things that I could stomach was spaghetti mm. with a little bit of butter and a lot of grated cheddar cheese. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Um, plain potato chips. Right. And chocolate milkshakes for McDonald's. Those are about the only three things that I could eat for yeah. six months. Yeah. Everything else made me... Like, I couldn't even, I couldn't even fathom the idea of trying to choke it down, never mind, keep it down. Like, right. I just couldn't even. Right. Yeah. The only things that I felt like I could eat were those, those starchy, yeah. greasy foods. And of course, you have no energy. I barely, like, no. barely walked to the car kind of thing. For sure. And I lost all my hair. Right. I did lose all my hair. I ended up having to, oh, I went to a hairdresser because I didn't have somebody to shave my head. There's nobody I felt confident enough to ask to do that for me. So I went to a hairdresser and I was like trying to be all brave and stuff. And yeah. I could see them all like giving me pitying looks behind my back. Oh I'm like, my God. Oh, yeah. It's it's like, oh, it's right? Oh, oh, oh yeah. It'll be fine. It's blah, blah, blah. fine. Yeah. yeah. And... <laughs> Oh, I mean, the wigs are better answer. now, but they were not good then. Oh, I can't imagine. Oh, my God. <laughs> I had God. this hideous platinum blonde synthetic uh. <laughs> wig that I wore. I looked terrible. And so I think one of the questions you had sent me ahead of the time was, yeah. like, did you want people to know? And mm. I, I did and I didn't. Right. I didn't want to have to talk about it. Yeah. I didn't want to have to put on a brave face with people. But I also didn't want people to think that I chose this hairdo. I... <laughs> I wanted people to know there's like there's a reason. I swear, <laughs> it's a bad hair decision. <laughs> yeah. I told the hairdresser. Just wanted highlights. Yeah, that's all I wanted. That's all. That's, all. that's it. Oh. But I was surprised by how many grown people didn't know that chemotherapy came with hair loss. Yeah, I was really surprised by that because, yeah. but maybe it's because my sister had it when she was fourteen that I just grew up knowing that. Yeah, like I was really surprised, and yeah. there were people who didn't like, why are you wearing? You're wearing a ball cap at work, and I'm like, right, mm, you know, yeah, chemotherapy, and they're like, and <laughs> so bizarre though, right? Yeah, and I think everybody has, especially if they haven't experienced it either firsthand or even just close to them, right? Right. There's just, it's so foreign, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you said, we were talking about earlier. Oh yeah, so-and-so's cousin had this cancer and oh well, yeah, they're they're going through this many treatments of chemo, blah, blah, or radiation, yeah. all that stuff. And it was, it always seems so foreign. Yeah. And so like in the distance. Yeah. Right? I, I feel, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So the after was all kind of colored by all of that though too. As somebody who already struggled with self-esteem issues, right. to come out of it on the other side having gained weight, yeah. no hair, and it took my hair a really long time to grow back in. Oh. It was a good three years before I felt like That's I... That's a long time. I mean, I had hair, but it grew so slowly. Yeah. I called myself Brillo Pad Head for a very <laughs> long time. But on the bright side, I mean, yeah. I had I had done the 80s spiral perms every oh, year. Oh, I every love six those. Months, probably. Yeah. <laughs> My hair was dead. It was completely fried. So when it all fell out, yeah. it probably did me a favor. It grew back in and it was stick straight. It okay. was very fine. And okay. when it grew back in, it grew back in really with a nice mm-hmm. healthy wave yeah. eventually but the yeah. wave the unfortunately curls. meant it grew out instead of down oh. and so I felt like Bozo the Clown a really long time <laughs> oh my god so I did start there were a good couple of years where I was cancer free that's all great and fine yeah. and dandy yeah. but I did not feel good about myself at yeah. all yeah I survived but I did have a I also had a relapse though too so oh, right you mentioned yeah that before. because we didn't do radiation mm-hmm 
And because they thought they got it all. So they thought we don't need to subject you to the trauma of radiation. There was about a couple of years later, just when I was kind of just starting to feel normal again. I remember going to the gym one day. And this is one of the big things that I want to always stress to people is you need to advocate for yourself. Oh my God. Yes. So, and I'll go, I'll kind of double back on that in a little while, but I remember going to the gym one day and I went to a gym with a pool and I had a really great swim. It was feeling really good while I was in the pool, got out and I went into the change room and I sat down on the bench and I just, I, I couldn't, I was freezing. I was soaking wet. I could not make myself get up and dry myself off and get dressed. The level of exhaustion was next level. Like I couldn't, it was so, I couldn't even move. And to the point that another woman, a complete and total stranger came over and asked me if if I was okay. I was like, yeah, just really tired. Just trying to get up the energy to get dressed to go home. Yeah. And that's when I kind of knew that I think something wasn't quite right. And so I was poking around and when I had it the first time, it was in my neck. Mm Mm-hmm. And in my chest too, but I couldn't feel that obviously. Right. And so I was poking around in the same spot and I could feel like a little pea, little pea-sized nugget in my neck. And so I went back and yeah. to everybody's credit, the second time around, all I needed to do was say, I can feel something in here. And I was lickety split, CT scans yeah. and MRIs and whatever else and was in doing, but the second time I didn't need to do chemo, just right. radiation. Right. But it knocked me off. So the first time I had it, because it was a year after my dad had died, the symptoms that I had were all attributed to other things. So the fatigue was attributed to depression over my father's death. And I had all the B symptoms. I never had, I didn't have extreme weight loss. I didn't have fever. Yeah. I didn't have the night sweats. But I was always itchy. Mm-hmm. When I drank alcohol, mm-hmm. I had a pain in my neck so bad that I wanted to curl up in the fetal position and just cry. Oh my God. When I went to the doctor about these things, they were like, well, you know, you have an ulcer. It's just when you drink alcohol, it's triggering a pain and going up into your esophagus and triggering the pain. Like, that's all it is. It's fine. Just keep taking antibiotics or just keep taking your antacids and you'll be fine. I actually even went in and said, this is what I think I have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And my doctor at the time said, what are the odds you're going to have the same rare disease that your sister had? I wasn't confident enough. I wasn't. I don't know what the word I'm looking for. We, you and I talked about this before. I just didn't have the confidence to, you're telling me that it's all in my head. It's all in my head. I guess it oh, must be all in my head. Yeah. Yeah. And you, but so. To I, advocate for you yourself. You really like, to advocate for yeah. yourself. I've been lucky ever since. That was just a one-off. Yeah. Every doctor I've had since then, ever soon as I go in and say like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, you know your body best, right? right? I think it's nice that finally now we're hearing a lot more about that. I think, and I see it a lot more as I think people are starting to kind of normalize the discussions around cancer and and that aspect but more so that being aware body aware for physical aspect but also mental aspect I think Mm -hmm. too right so when you know that there's something not okay so there's the physical aspect that is not okay but then also the mental aspect that comes into play which of course will that's all part of it but Mm -hmm. I think like you said that's not right. Uh, whatever this is, this little pea-side thing, whatever the heck it is, that's not okay. And what is this new thing that's happening? And why why am I having this horrible reaction? That's not normal. Mm-hmm. So to question, right? And doctors are doctors, yes, and they're wonderful. And that's it's fantastic to have people in the medical profession that are there to help us. I can't say enough about our medical teams that come in. But what I can say is the fact that everybody's different. Every understanding of a body, our bodies, 
varies and things that happen to our bodies will vary, right? So yeah, hundred percent the more important aspect is being aware, being body aware, but also being an advocate for yourself because oh, nobody else is going to be that for no. you, right? No, no. So, yeah. Well, I ended up with a doctor that actually advocated for myself more than I did. Wow. I'm, I'm sure it's fine. She's like, no, 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 no. We're going to get this checked out. That's awesome. Yeah. But I learned my lesson. And yeah. Yeah. And you need to find people who are in your corner that yeah. way too. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And they are there. I think it's really amazing when you can find people that will advocate for you, like you said. Mm-hmm. But it is rare sometimes. Yeah. Unfortunately, it is rare. You hear, you hear so many stories about... People don't want to, they don't want to be a bother. And that was it. That was it. I didn't want to be a bother. Yeah. I didn't want to be seen yeah. as the hypochondriac that was mm-hmm. always sick. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That kind of yes. thing. Exactly. I think that was part of the problem. This was a new doctor. And yeah. I happened to start going to them around the same time I was showing symptoms. So they didn't know me as a person who never went to the doctor. All yes. of a sudden I was just there every week complaining about a new thing. Yes. Well, not every yes. week, but you know what I mean. No, no, 100%. <laughs> yeah. But I totally understand what you're saying because I remember a situation where Funnily enough, my oncologist of all people, when I had gone back, and this was in between the two cancers, when I had gone back and I said, this isn't right. I'm not feeling very right here. And then she had actually said to me, why do you think it's going to come back? And all I could think of is, how dare you ask that question? Who are you to ask me that question? I'm the one, first of all, that showed up on your doorstep, basically, to say, I found something and let's check this out, right? Mm -hmm. So again, reminding ourselves that we are our our best own advocates and medical professionals, doctors, they're there. Yes, they're very important. And and yes, we very much appreciate what they do, but they're still humans. Mm -hmm. They're still prone to human error. They're still not aware of what you're aware of. And... So the advocacy, yes, is important. Not to mention you're already in a vulnerable place. So Mm -hmm. if you can't advocate for yourself, make sure that you find somebody that can. Maybe somebody that's gone through it before. I totally think that that's extremely important. And I also think that that's why what you're doing is also important too. To have somebody who's been through this can kind of speak to that level of... Or maybe it's a friend, but somebody who can kind of say, you know what? Yeah. It's okay. It's okay to stand up for yourself. And it's okay to say that I want, that I need to talk about this further. Yeah. And And I'm not okay. Yeah. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And I want to figure this out. Yeah. I agree. And I think we're always, like, not that we obviously want to be identified by being cancerous. Like, I like. There was somebody that mentioned that to me. Their family member had said that they just didn't want to be identified as having cancer. And mm. that was it. I, get, I got the surgery and then I, I move on. And I had cancer once. That's okay. And that's fine if that's how you deal with it. But not everybody deals with it like that, right? I'm that person. I had a conversation with somebody at work and said something yeah. about when I had no hair and they looked at me. Mm. And mm-hmm. I kind of went, mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, you decided to go bald one day. Yeah. You shaved your head. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, oh, uh... And I remember feeling very awkward and feeling like I didn't, I didn't want to be that girl. I didn't yeah. Wanna, I didn't want to like. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. I just had that same conversation like mm-hmm. a week ago in particular waiting for band practice to start. And I was just talking to the guys. They barely know me. So of course I just started a conversation about, we were talking about health. And then I said, I've just decided I'm moving into this cancer coaching role. And 
they looked at me kind of sideways, like how a dog cocks its ears to <laughs> head to one side to right. listen a little bit. What did you get? So you had can't. I mean, yeah, I had it twice. <laughs> I get it, right? Because in that moment, I had that reaction. Oh, do I really want to say this? And that's at the end. I yeah. I didn't give the other person enough credit. I kind of went, oh, I chemotherapy, my hair fell out. Ah, yeah. it's fine now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like so fast changed the subject. Yeah, yeah. That, and I think I kind of inadvertently, I didn't mean to, but I right. think I inadvertently kind of said this topic is off limits. Yeah. Let's not bring it up again. No. And I don't want to be that person though either. Like right. I don't want them to feel like there's topics that they can't. Yeah, yeah. Well, or it's... if somebody is struggling and totally we never know right we don't know what other people are journeying through so it's true and we were talking about this earlier the whole sweeping it under the carpet and where we both come from that generation where Mm. we didn't really need to talk about that or let's sweep it under the carpet or that was something that happened 10 years ago we don't need to rehash it but what I find is now starting to happen, and I'm seeing this kind of in the mental health space too. We're seeing the bell talk mm-hmm. and the normalizing the conversation around our, our mental health. So yes, we went through this physical trauma. We experienced something that really, truly, I think, makes everybody aware of their mortality in a different way. It doesn't matter what cancer you had or what stage or anything like that. Everybody's presented with that, right? In, in that very moment, you're handed all the 70s pamphlets and you're just like, well, what now? The importance of normalizing the conversation and feeling like it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to share mm-hmm. and it's okay to uncover the truths, right? Mm-hmm. And, and like advocate f- for yourself, but also for somebody else who maybe feels vulnerable and they don't feel like they can exactly. share their story. Yeah. I have tried to, if it comes up organically, I've never been one to actually initiate the conversation. Right. But if it comes up organically that way, yeah. but when I talk about it, I talk about it very matter of factly because I learned from that first experience. If I'm going to talk about it, let's talk about it, but yeah. I'll, I'll talk about it in a way that lets the other person know that they don't need to feel sorry. They don't need to feel like they need to feel like. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't need to feel like they have to pity me. Right. Or right, yeah. they don't need to tiptoe around my feeling. Yeah. And if they have a question, maybe yeah. their daughter or their totally. neighbor or somebody yeah. is having yeah. an issue, they could ask me and I'm fine with talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's amazing because I think one of the things that I've seen happen when I first began to step into this role and I wrote my book about it people started sharing their stories with me and it was like oh my gosh okay so now I have a responsibility I can either decide to just sweep this under the carpet again okay well yeah we don't need to talk about that blah 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 or let's move on okay let's talk about the weather or I can actually listen and engage and then it becomes this whole other space right a a space for people to feel safe to express what they went through finally and that they can actually show up and go yeah that sucked and you know what I didn't really I wasn't actually able to share it with anybody else fully because parent A didn't really understand or parent B wasn't available or Mm -hmm. friend A was in their own situation right there's so many things that you, you go through like you said and we traditionally as human beings we try to be accommodating of other people <laughs> like when we exactly. have a good heart we're empaths or yeah. what have you we try to just accommodate other people but I think when we finally are able to 
pull back the curtains and say, no, now's the time. Now we really truly do have to be able to show up for other people and tell them it's okay. It's okay to share your story. It's okay to feel vulnerable. It's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. It's okay, even if it doesn't matter how many years you are beyond this, right? We, we are still not defined by it, but it certainly did have an impact in our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and there's a reason, right? Mm-hmm. What can we do is a, in the sense of it happened, instead of saying it happened to me, it happened for me. Mm-hmm. And then changing that mindset so that you're able to say, then how then there can I take this experience and pay it forward to somebody else? I don't know if I ever got there myself. You probably didn't have an avenue to speak about it. No, not really. Yeah. But you know what? So oh, I'm, I am actually very grateful that it all happened in some ways. In the, in the time before social media and mm. all that kind of stuff. I wonder about people that I met along the way that I have no way of knowing how things turned out for them. I, you don't, you don't friend them on Facebook <laughs> or follow them on Instagram or yeah. whatever. So I remember a guy named Steve that was always there the same day I was. And he was a few years older than me. And yeah. I have no idea Wow, if he came through the other side and I, I yeah. think about him every now and again I kind of wonder but on the other side of the coin I'm grateful but also it, it's kind of lonelier a little bit too that you can't reach out and find those forums yeah. for other people to talk to yeah. and that sort of thing yeah for sure yeah yeah, yeah. for sure yeah no I, I can agree with that because yeah there was there were no like online chat groups or anything like yeah. that you could go to find yeah. support for people going through the same thing you were or whatever yeah. so I think that would be that would probably be a very welcome finding somebody who's been in the same situation and reaching out and having somebody kind of in your corner when you feel like mm-hmm. you can't talk to the, you don't want to worry your mother and you don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the thing, right? Where's the forum? Now mm-hmm. I'm going to ask the tough question. How did you feel about your body and all these things, right? So, because that's mm-hmm. a huge thing, I think, for a lot of people, men and women, mm-hmm. that go through these physical changes in their body, not only from surgery potentially but just in general like you said that you went through weight fluctuations and you that happened to you and your body changed so it's a hard it's hard to show up in that and be like no that sucked I didn't know how to process that exactly and it's not like I did six months of treatment and I came Mm -hmm. out the other side I got that cancer-free diagnosis awesome yeah yeah let's yeah. All right, let's get on with things. Yeah. No, it was years before yeah. I felt like I was back to the person I was before at all. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, before totally. the hair grew back in, before yeah. I didn't feel all puffy. It was a long time. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm so appreciative of you sharing your story, and I can't thank you enough because I know it's very vulnerable to share in this platform. I'm hoping that other people will want to share their stories as well. And you know. I am not one to talk about the vulnerable things. Oh, so I know. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> so if I can do it, somebody else can do it too. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much. And all right. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye. That concludes today's episode. A big thank you to my guest, Sandy, for revealing her story and showing up for all of you in this space. Consider visiting farfromfear-coaching.com to subscribe to my website, And remember, you're not alone on this cancer journey, and there's healing in revealing.